All right. Well, it is really great to be here, and um, it is so refreshing to be back at a large group meeting for 15 or 16 years. Uh, this is where I was, uh, at leading an RUF chapter uh, in San Antonio at Trinity University, and, uh, and then at the University of Georgia. And so it's really fun to be back. And um, the time that y'all have in college, the relationships, the opportunity to spend time with one another, um, is just so rich. And I'm excited that y'all have that opportunity and that you have a campus minister like Lewis. And um, I just encourage you, if this is your first time to RUF, take full advantage of uh, the big questions about life and your future that you have, because um, these guys would love to spend time with you. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you or if you have your handout, um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18. If this is your first week, uh, Lewis has been taking you through a thematic study on Christian community. Just different aspects of, um, you'll have looked at the missional community. Uh, last week, y'all looked at the repentant community. And so tonight, we're going to look at another one of those aspects, a core, critical, distinctive of uh, Christian community. And I just particularly want to welcome and um, encourage those of you who don't know yet what you think about Christian community or even what you think about Jesus. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for, thanks for checking this out. Um, what I'm going to be talking about tonight, Lewis assigned to me, and I couldn't be happier with my topic because this topic has truly changed my life. It's changed my relationship with my children, my relationship with my wife, and I can't wait to share it with you. So let's look at Matthew chapter 18, and I will begin in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that they had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, um, we are all coming tonight from different parts of campus, from uh, different types of days, different backgrounds. 
Some of us are coming in with a lot of burdens and stress, maybe a little bit tired from parents' weekend, maybe a little bit overwhelmed with the assignments and the things going on this week. But wherever we are, Lord, I pray that you would meet with us. Exactly where we are, that you would give us the words that we need to hear. I pray that I would disappear, that I would not get in the way or be a distraction, but that my friends here would hear from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of nights ago, I was hit with the reason why I love the show Ted Lasso so much. Um, For those of you who are unfamiliar, Ted Lasso is a series on Apple TV, and it it chronicles the story of an American football coach who is hired to go uh, coach an English soccer team. Little does he know that they're actually basically trying to sabotage him because he knows nothing about soccer. It's a fascinating show. But one particular episode really stood out to me. And uh, Rebecca, who's the owner of the, uh, owner of the soccer club, really, really does Ted wrong. I mean, in the worst way you can possibly imagine. Basically tries to make him look like a complete fool. And she knows that she's totally busted. And with tears in her eyes, she walks in and she's with Ted. And she is very honest about what she's done. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to watch the show because the episode is amazing. Um, She's desperate to preserve her relationship with Ted. And she knows all that she's done. And she knows the way that that the scene is set up. She knows that her life and her future is literally like right before Ted, like he is holding on to it. She's laying it all bare. And there's not this long melodramatic drawn out pause, but there is a pause. And I love Jason Sudeikis' response. He just shakes his head. He stands up and simply says, I forgive you. And then she's stunned. She says, why? And he says, well, divorce is hard. And it makes folks do crazy things. And then they simply embrace, and that's it. That's the moment. Just like that, she's forgiven. There's no meltdown. There's no rift between them. There's no, you know, lasso, you know, punishing Rebecca. There's no formulaic paying of penance. Lasso's mercy is immediate. And I'll be honest with you. Even though I'd seen that scene before, Tears started welling up in my eyes again. Because it, that kind of immediate, open, raw forgiveness just melts away the cynicism that oftentimes I have in my heart. Forgiveness poked a hole in my cynicism. And if cynicism is battery acid to Christian community, and I think it is, then forgiveness is the soothing balm of Christian community. And so with that in mind, I want to just ask three questions about the idea of forgiveness from this passage in Matthew 18. First, I want to ask an obvious question. What is it? What is forgiveness? Well, notice the scene here. Peter comes up to Jesus and it's like, so how many times do I need to forgive people? Is it like seven times? His question was actually reasonable because the rabbi said you only had to forgive someone four times. And to be honest with you, I don't know that I've forgiven someone seven times. So Peter's kind of on the right track. But Jesus says, no, try 70 times 7. Like an innumerable amount of times, you are always forgiving infinitely. And then Jesus, in his classic style, just starts telling a story. You're like, okay, all right, now we're talking about a parable. 
And Jesus launches into this parable to illustrate his point. There's this king who has a servant who owes him roughly $6 billion in today's dollars. The servant comes to the king in verse 26, look at it, and he's like, just give me more time and I'll pay it off. I've got this. This is manageable. I can do this. There's no way in the world, no matter if you work 24 hours a day, you're paying off $6 billion. And he knows it. So the king takes pity on him, and this unbelievable act of mercy cancels the complete debt. Now, just hit pause. Part of what Jesus is getting at with this story in response to Peter's question is this. Jesus is showing the incalculable costliness of forgiveness. It's always so expensive. So what is forgiveness? It's canceling a debt. But it's making the conscious choice, get this, to absorb the cost completely yourself. Forgiveness is you taking the hit for the very person who sinned against you, who hurt you, who did you wrong. And then you're promising not to ever make that person pay a penny. C.S. Lewis says this about forgiveness. Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. When, I, when my son, John Huss, who's now 17, and he's absolutely hilarious, um, when he was like six, we were, I was the RUF guy <clears throat> in Georgia. We went to church, and there was like this fence, and he thought it would be really awesome to take some rocks and drop them through the chain link fence and watch them roll down the hill and see what's happened. But the problem is my friend John's F-150 pickup truck was parked right below that. So as the rock begins to pick up speed, you know what's going to happen. Bam, cracks the windshield completely. And John Huss is a great guy. He's you know, relational, really sweet guy, you know, knows how to turn on the waterworks, really genuine, like, Dad, I'm so sorry. Oh, Dad, I should not have done that. Awesome. That's so good. I'm really proud of him. But we still have a broken window on a brand new F-150. Who's going to pay for that? When you say, I forgive you, you take the hit and you promise, I'm not going to make the other person pay for it, no matter how painful it is. So when the king in this parable that Jesus tells in response to Peter is talking about forgiveness, he's saying the king is taking the $6 billion hit. Now, we can talk about this conceptually and philosophically all day long. You and I both know. All of us have been done wrong. As I was preparing for this talk, I could think of three examples back in Georgia from grown men who really, really, really hurt me recently. Like, in like a weird middle school way, hurt me. We all know what that's like, right? Like, you've been betrayed by a friend. You have been hurt by your parents. You have been screwed over by the church. You have been. Many of you have. Your boyfriend or girlfriend has wounded you, or even worse, he or she has used you. And when that hit happens, we have an opportunity to forgive. But what usually happens? We don't. We get even, or we get spiritual, and we say, well, I'm just supposed to be, you know, kind. Or we get busy, right? But we don't forgive, because why? We know that forgiveness means taking the hit, paying the bill, fully absorbing the weight of the costs. 
Because when we forgive, we are promising not to throw their offense in their faces and make them pay. We are promising not to weaponize our pain like napalm, which is what I wanted to do in both of those situations back in Athens. We are saying, I'm not going to keep score. I'm not going to make you pay because I will absorb all the costs myself. You guys feeling pretty encouraged tonight? (laughs) Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He is straight up with people. Most of what gets called forgiveness in Christian community, I'll be honest with you, in America is saccharine niceness. It's not gritty, bloody, tear-filled, frayed, nerve-ending, real, genuine forgiveness. Pause. I believe all of that's true, and I believe that's what Jesus is getting at, but I need to give you a very important qualification. This is from an author named Sam Storms. I think he had some great insights. Jesus is saying that forgiving others is absolutely non-negotiable. If you are a Christian, it is a non-negotiable. You are a forgiving person. And at the same time, it does not, make, it does not mean the pain goes away. I will carry the, the wounds and the pain of those grown men who hurt my feelings back in Athens for a long time. Okay? It does not mean that you just forget. Forgiveness is non-negotiable, but it does not mean that you stop longing for justice. Longing for justice is good. Romans 12, 19. But don't seek it yourself. Don't take up the sword and seek vengeance. It does not mean that you minimize the offense. It does not mean that you avoid boundaries. Some of you have experienced trauma and capital A abuse. You need to put limits on family members and friends from your past. The most loving thing you can do might be to cut off communication. But we're still called to even forgive that radically and that deeply. The call to forgiveness is a non-negotiable. But sometimes those boundaries are critical. We're called to forgive, but sometimes reconciliation will never happen. Someone that I talked to who's a mentor of mine, I sought advice from him. And I said, there's there's someone in my life that I need to have a hard conversation with and I'm terrified because he has hurt me so deeply. You know what he had me do? He said, I want you to write a letter. I said, okay, I'll write him a letter. And I want you to be honest about how you feel. I want you to talk about what that experience was like for you. And then I went and I I talked to that mentor friend of mine. I said, why did you have me write a letter? And he said this, I had to write it down. He says, I wanted you to write him a letter so that you will have already forgiven him in your heart and your forgiveness of him will not be conditioned upon his response. That was painful, gritty, bloody, I would argue Christian forgiveness. Anne Lamott, she's a pithy writer, she says this about forgiveness. Forgiveness means it finally becomes unimportant that you hit back. You're done. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you want to have lunch with that person. I think she's right on. So some of you might be thinking, that sounds really awful and painful and frankly too costly. I get it. But there's a second thing I want us to consider. Not just what is forgiveness, but what happens if we don't forgive? This is the sobering reality of the passage. Let's continue the story. The king has just forgiven his servant this massive debt. And in verse 28, 
we see that the servant runs into one of his servants that owes him $12,000. That's not chump change, but that's pretty small in comparison to being forgiven $6 billion. The tables have turned. Now he's the one who has someone who owes him something. And what does he do? Did y'all notice this from the text? Jesus says he grabs him by the throat and chokes him and demands that his servant pays. He refuses to forgive the servant the $12,000, even though he had already been forgiven billions of dollars. What is happening? He's been turned into a victimizer and a perpetrator. He's falling apart. He's attacking. As we tell our children, hurting people hurt others. And that's exactly what this guy's doing. He's filled with bitterness and rage and vengeance. I'm going to make somebody pay. And do you see how angry he is? When we refuse to forgive someone who really hurts us, Jesus is saying this is who we become. The shell of ourselves. And you may not physically choke someone, but Lord, please know, but we will make other people pay. We will kill people's reputations. We will completely cancel them. We hold on to that wound and refuse to forgive. We actually lose everything. That's why Jesus is so intense about this. He wants us to see so much that forgiveness is powerful, but it's costly. Jesus wants to be straight up with you tonight. He's not here just to blow smoke. This is a picture of the high price we pay when we refuse to forgive. That we're robbed of our humanity. Again, Anne Lamott says this, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Do you see how costly it is to not forgive? Where does that leave us? Jesus wants us to feel like we're at the end of ourselves. If that's what you're feeling, that's exactly where he wants you right now. Because absorbing the hit for the very person who hurt you is so painful and costly, we do not want to minimize that. Where do we get the power and the strength to forgive radically and freely, no matter whether people respond in the ways that we want? Where does that power come from? And that's the third question that I want us to consider. How can we become a community who forgives? When you get to the end of this parable, you discover what Jesus is really up to in this story. He really is wanting us to see the power to forgive other people. And the first step is recognizing our debt. That is what Jesus wants to see is all of us are written into this story. We are the one who has racked up the enormous billions and billions of dollars of debt. And the first thing that we have to come to to begin to appreciate good news is to acknowledge that is our standing before God, every single one of us, our personal violations against God really actually cost that much. And there's absolutely no possible way for us to pay off that debt. No amount of going to RUF meetings or small group meetings or church. or Those are all wonderful activities. I encourage you to participate. But we dare not think that that's going to chip away at that $6 billion debt. See, every other religion is really packaged in the form of this guy's request. Just be patient with me. I'll pay it off. I'll be more diligent. 
Every other religion is saying, let me just live a good, moral, tolerant life, and I'll pay off my debts. Jesus is saying to all of us tonight, friends, that is completely hopeless. There's no possible way that you can pay off the debt. The debt is so big. And if you want to be someone who forgives, you have to first realize the enormous size of the debt. But that gets into the next step. Not only recognizing the debt, secondly, and really importantly, remember his payment. Recognize our debt, remember his payment. When God the King forgives you and he forgives me of our enormous debt, remember, this means he is the one who is taking the hit. He is the one who is completely absorbing the costs himself so that we don't have to pay anything. There's nothing left for you to pay. And if we don't see the weight of that debt, we miss the wonder and the beauty of there's nothing left for you to pay. He really has paid everything. At the cross, Jesus is bearing the punishment for the enormous debt that we have incurred. And so when you see Jesus being beaten and nailed and pierced, suffocating on a cross, you're actually seeing God himself absorbing the hit at an infinite cost to himself. This is the heart of Christianity. If you've ever wondered what really gets behind it, it's not about going to church. It's not even about reading your Bible. It's about the paradox and the wonder that God would willingly come down to earth as a human being and take the hit and completely absorb our debt because he loves us. And our versions of trying to pay that off actually dishonor him because we're so prideful we don't want to take the gift of his grace. And because God himself is paying for that debt, only then he is able to say, I completely forgive you. And this means he will not make you pay for your debt. He has completely paid it. That's the whole point. The whole point of Jesus' words is that when we see the size of the debt and the depth of God's forgiveness, then we're actually transformed. There's no way that we can be unchanged. When we actually see the debt and see his willingness. One of my favorite passages is in Luke 7. It's, a, it's kind of a similar passage. It's not a parable, though. There's a woman who is a complete... She's struggling so much. She's been rejected. She's, she has made some really bad choices. She's falling apart. She is before Jesus' feet. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you have been forgiven much, then you will love much. When we have tasted his mercy, it absolutely changes everything. It changes Christian community. So I actually want to close our time in a way that's a little bit unique. I think it's great in a situation on a topic like this that is so hard. It's so easy for us to understand in our heads, but it's so difficult for us to understand what that might look like to live out. I want to close with a story uh, of a woman named Corey Tinboom and her daughter, or excuse me, her sister named Betsy. And I want to just talk a little bit about her experience in a Nazi concentration camp. This is the last thing I'm going to do. So if you want to close your eyes and listen, that's fine. But I just want to read this to you. Listen to her words. Corey herself was put to the test in 1947 while speaking in a Munich church. At the close of the service, a balding man in a gray overcoat stepped forward to greet her. Corey froze. She knew this man well. 
He'd been one of the most vicious guards at Ravensbrück concentration camp, one who had mocked the women prisoners as they showered. It came back with a rush, she wrote. The large room with the harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man every day. And now here he was pushing his hand out to shake hers and saying, a fine message. How good it is to know that as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbling in my pocketbook rather than take that hand of his. He would not remember me, of course, right? How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard one time there, but since that time he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the absolutely cruel things that I did there but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, please. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy, my own sister, had died in that cruel concentration camp. Could he erase how slow and how terrible her death was simply by asking for my hand? The soldier stood there expectantly waiting for Corey to shake his hand. She wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. Jesus, help me. She prayed, I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. Corey thrust out her hand toward the man. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm. It sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted." forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians chapter 4. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the powerful supernatural forgiveness that we have received in Jesus would affect our hearts this evening. We do not have the power to forgive the unforgivable, we do not have the power to love apart from your grace and your power. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to move towards you with our wounds, with our sorrow, with our hurts, and receive the healing balm of your grace and your love. Because it is true, Lord, those that have been forgiven much will love much. Lord, I long for this Christian community to be characterized as radical forgivers, 
that this community on this campus, even amongst those who do not believe in Jesus, would say these people love fiercely and with loyalty and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.